Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. My name is Doug Wortham, and I have the distinct pleasure of hosting today's show. Today, we're going to check in with the Minnesota's, or excuse me, the Minneapolis VA healthcare system. We're going to check in with a beyond the yellow ribbon uh, city, and we'll also talk to the command senior enlisted advisor of the Minnesota National Guard. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking. This is a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Each January, we celebrate the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King's courage and determination to peacefully fight racism, oppression, and violence changed the course of history during the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. Like any other great leader, Dr. King knew the importance of unifying people to accomplish one common goal. The collective progress made during the civil rights movement positively influenced the policies and behaviors of our nation over the decades that followed. The Minnesota National Guard strives to uphold Dr. King's legacy by ensuring soldiers and airmen from all walks of life enjoy the benefits of equality and diversity. By doing this, we honor a life dedicated to making our nation a better place. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Uh, Our listening audience is probably well aware that the previous commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs recently retired back in July and uh, had a diagnosis of ALS. And we thought that it would be a great opportunity to bring on a expert in ALS from the Minneapolis VA healthcare system. And so we have the distinct pleasure of having Dr. Ezgi Tiryaki joining us um, on the phone. And I want to give a quick uh, bio. Um, Dr. Tiryaki is a professor of neurology and the associate chief of staff for education at the Minneapolis VA healthcare system, where she oversees the education of 1,500 health profession trainees annually and leads the education service line with 55 employees. She's on the board of directors of the Center for Veterans Research and Education. She's board certified in a bunch of different things, things that I can't even pronounce. So I just want to get right to it. Dr. Tiriaki, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. It is great to have you on the phone. And, you know, especially, you know, you heard in my intro, we talked about uh, Commissioner uh, Larry Herkey, who was diagnosed with ALS. And I really want to get into talking about that. But but first, let's get to know you a little bit. Maybe you can tell us just a little bit about your background, some of these boards and things that you're certified on and you participate in, and then what ultimately led you to the Minneapolis VA healthcare system. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I... Uh, went to medical school and then trained to become a neurologist and an internist. And after finishing that training, I spent another year uh, learning how to do EMGs, which is a test where you can assess if the muscles and nerves of a person are healthy. Uh, I moved to Minnesota in 2005, so it's been 19 winters now. Uh, and I've been working in the care of ALS ever since I moved here. Um, I've been now at the VA and active in the ALS clinic at the Minneapolis VA for the past eight years. Wow, eight years. And, uh, I mean, ALS is, you know, something that, you know, not a lot of people really um, understand what it is. I don't even fully understand what it is. And, you know, it's something that has come to light recently with the uh, recent retirement of the commissioner, as I mentioned before. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about um, about ALS so we can kind of give an overview of, of what it is. And then I want to get into the great work that's going on out at the VA. Yeah, absolutely. So ALS is what we call a neurodegenerative disease. It means that nerve cells are dying off. Um, 
And it's a very rare disease, so no wonder that uh, you might not hear frequently about it because it's a rare disease that only affects about five in 100,000 people. Um, in the United States uh, as a whole, there's about 5,000 uh, people that get diagnosed with this disease. And at any given time here in our state, here in Minnesota, we have about 500 people that live with ALS. Um, so ALS is a disease as these nerve cells die the way you notice that something is wrong, that the person experiences that they're losing power. So it's power in the muscles. Uh, it's uh, difficulty moving. Uh, if it's the muscles that we use uh, to speak or eat, there might be changes in swallowing and speaking. And eventually it also affects the muscles that we use to breathe. And when that happens uh, is when uh, people usually die from this disease due to uh, failure of their breathing. And is, is, is yeah. ALS often confused with other uh, diseases or ailments? Because it seems like yeah. you're describing things that may be in common with some other things that uh, people experience. Absolutely. And that is usually what happens. You know, when you have difficulty maybe with your hand, the first thought is not ALS. The first thought is that you might have carpal tunnel syndrome or you have, you know, difficulty uh, with your leg and you might think you have a pinched nerve. And in fact, it takes about a year on average uh, for a person to find out that what they've been experiencing and, you know, ends up being ALS. So it takes about a year to sort through that. And the reason for that is we don't have a test for ALS. We can't just send you to the lab and get a blood draw or, you know, send you through a scanner and then have the answer. ALS is a disease that we have to diagnose by uh, looking at you, listening at uh, what, you, what you're experiencing, and then we do a lot of tests to rule out other things that could look like ALS. So things like a stroke or maybe multiple sclerosis. So many other diseases get ruled out, and if we can't find any other explanation, that's when we're left with ALS. And so you're ruling out these other diseases by... Um, well, comparing symptoms, um, you know, having that in-depth conversation with, with the patient. And, I mean, is it kind of like trial and error then? Because, I mean, obviously you're, it's not a diagnosis right off the bat, so this could be taking quite a while. You said sometimes over a year to really diagnose it or get to it? Yes, correct. Because often you start out, you know, uh, going to a regular family doctor and that person gets worried and sends you, uh, to a neurologist, and then your neurologist may eventually send you to a dedicated ALS center. So it can take about a year, uh, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. Um, and it's not so much um, that it's a back and forth, but really a process of excluding the other causes for the loss of power or the weakness. You know, one thing that's really unique about ALS, it usually starts somewhere in the body, and over time, the weakness gets worse, and over time, the weakness spreads to other areas. So uh, as an example, you know, you might notice you, you um, have weakness in a leg and you start stabbing your toe or you, you might, you know, start having some falls. Over time, that weakness in the leg will get worse. And over time, eventually, you'll also start noticing that the arms are getting weaker. So there is progression as well as spread. And those two things are very, very unique about ALS. They're not really other diseases that behave that way. And so, you know, obviously early diagnosis is, is extremely important. And, uh, you know, with the confusion of being able to get right to the diagnosis of, of ALS, 
you know, what do you what do you tell people on on how to react to some of these things that are just happening? Um, and their first thought isn't going to um, assume that it's ALS. Maybe it's just, oh, it's just me getting a little bit older. Um, oh, it's just I'm being clumsy. What do you say to those people so that there can be a possibility of, of early diagnosis? Yeah, I, I think what really helps is uh, to, to talk to your, to your healthcare provider and have a conversation about what you're experiencing and then, you know, with, together work on how to assess what might be going on. So often what we do when we think somebody, you know, has something and we want to figure out if it is ALS or not, we end up doing some blood tests, looking if somebody, for instance, has a vitamin deficiency or another reason for the, for the weakness to occur. Often, the workup will include some imaging studies to see if there is a pinched nerve or to see if there is maybe a stroke. And the, the EMG test that I mentioned at the beginning uh, is another test that we very frequently gets done. It's an electrical test where we can measure how well the nerves are conducting electricity and how well they're connected to the muscle. And when somebody has ALS, even early on in the EMG, we can see some changes that show us that the nerve cells are sick and that their connection to the muscle is suffering. And so when we see that pattern, um, what happens often is that then there is a referral to a, a special clinic that specializes in ALS. And the reason for that is that ALS doesn't have a cure, but there are a lot of really good treatments. And many of those treatments are provided by a team of, of uh, clinicians. Uh, ALS is one of those diseases where it really takes a village. And uh, you will then, you know, often see a neurologist working together with a speech therapist and a physical therapist and an occupational therapist and a dietitian and a pharmacist and a nurse and uh, a social worker uh, and a psychologist. So really the list goes on and on. Uh, of people that then come together, they're all experts in what to do in ALS and uh, take care of the patient together. Wow, that's a ton of information. Um, Doctor, we've got to take a quick break here, and then I want to come back in and and revisit some of these early symptoms and then get into some of the stuff that the VA healthcare system is doing. Uh, This is Minnesota Military Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Esgi Tiriaki from the Minneapolis VA healthcare system. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham. And in the last segment, we were speaking with Dr. Esgi Tiriaki, who is the professor of neurology and the associate chief of staff for education at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. Uh, Dr. T, as you've given me permission to call you, welcome back. And, you know, this is such a... Uh, an interesting and important conversation. So if you wouldn't mind, could you please once again, just tell us what ALS is and then what some of those early symptoms are. And then I want to talk about some other good stuff going on at the VA. Yeah. So ALS is a rare neurodegenerative disease. um, And the hallmark is the loss of muscle strength. It can start in the leg or in the arm, sometimes in the muscles for speaking. And so people experience slurred speech. And very rarely can it start with difficulty breathing. And so the VA healthcare system recognizes ALS as a service-connected disease. Can you tell us what does that service connection mean, and then how does the VA support our veterans that happen to have ALS? Yeah. So service-connected conditions are conditions where an illness or an injury was caused by or got worse because of active military service. And what we see with ALS 
is that veterans are twice as likely, almost twice as likely to get ALS um, than the general uh, population. And that is regardless of when they served and at which branch they served and where they were stationed. And because of that uh, observation, the VA presumes that any veteran who served more than 90 days of active duty and had any type of discharge other than dishonorable discharge, that they are service-connected. So if a uh, veteran who served, whatever, 20 years ago or even five years ago, they've got that honorable discharge and uh, they've served more than 90 days and they happen to get um, diagnosed with ALS, they ought to be um, going to the VA to um, seek treatment. Of course, they have to go through the process, right? We always refer people to go to a county veteran service officer to fill out paperwork if they are not already service-connected. But uh, now is this what they would call like just not a presumptive, but because of your service, you're saying, and the fact that a veteran or a service member is two times as likely to get ALS, that that 90 days, that's it right there. Once you have hit that and you have ALS, um, you're you're probably service connected for it. Is that is that right? Am I hearing that right? Correct. Yes. And we really try to expedite the paperwork and the PVA helps with that as well because uh, time is at the essence. Uh, I don't think I've mentioned that uh, before, but, you know, on average, people live about three to five years with this disease. So we don't want to lose any time whatsoever in order to reach our patients and make sure that they are connected with the services um, that they will need. And um, so in this case, it's 100% covered and 100% service connection, uh, which means that um, um, there are uh, a lot of benefits and uh, um, that come uh, from the VA. And the sooner the access is, I think that the, the better it is for the veteran and their family. Um, so I know that you said the average, um, is that, that from the time of diagnosis, right, is, is three to five years? A life expectancy? From first symptom. From first symptom. So mm-hmm. another reason why, one, it's important to um, pay attention to your body and and, uh, and talk about things that just might not be right to your primary health care or your health care provider. But are, are there things that, that can be done to extend this out? I mean, you'd mentioned previously that there's not a cure for ALS at this time. So, you know, what does quality of life become like? Um, for a person that's being diagnosed, and, and, and what can you do to extend that three to five years? Yeah, correct. So, so um, while we can't, uh, you know, make those uh, nerve cells uh, become healthy again or regrow, we have a lot of things we can do that really make a difference, not just with quality of life, but also how long people live. Um, so, and they fall into sort of two categories. The one one type of treatment that we offer are called disease-modifying treatments. So we have now three uh, medications that are approved by the FDA that we can do to try to slow down the progression uh, of uh, the illness. So again, the sooner we get to uh, meet with a veteran and talk about these options, the sooner they can access those uh, treatments, and they are 100% covered through the VA. Uh, the other types of treatments we offer is to really make living with ALS uh, be as, as good as it can be. Uh, and those things uh, are, you know, treating the symptoms that people experience. For instance, if uh, your muscles get weaker and you start having um, extra saliva in your mouth and uh, you start 
you know, drooling, or you have cramps in your muscles, and you can't sleep. So all these symptoms are very treatable. And um, we work with our veterans on making sure we find something that works for them. There are also things as the disease progresses that we pay attention to. So when the breathing is affected, we can support the breathing uh, non-invasively. And our respiratory therapist is part of our clinic team and sees the veteran every time they come so that we can make sure that we support their breathing. Uh, our nutritionist works with us to support um, uh, you know, maintaining weight. We know that veterans who maintain their weight uh, live longer. And so we really pay attention to how we can support nutrition. And we also talk about uh, uh, options like feeding tubes early on to make sure that uh, a veteran can really make a decision on how they want to navigate um, this condition. I do want to talk about your clinical research, but uh, before I do that, um, you had provided to me some information about some of the uh, amazing benefits that the VA gives to ALS patients. And I'm reading through this list of things. You've already talked about service-connected compensation at 100%, but there are opportunities in here for people to um, receive automobile grants, um, adaptive housing um, funds, um, you know, the, the priority group care that you get at the VA healthcare system, um, just a, a bunch of different things above and beyond, I'm assuming that even our general public would get or a, a general patient would get um, all simply because that ALS um, or the veteran is the one that was diagnosed with ALS. Just amazing work out there. Yes, that's correct. And, and that is why it's such a privilege to, to be an ALS clinician at the VA. Uh, you know, we have housing grants, automobile grants. We really want to make sure we can keep our veterans in their home where they want to be and have the tools and resources available for them uh, to live the way they want to live. Um, and uh, we support their family as well. You know, there's uh, um, compensation and resources for their uh, dependents, for their spouse and children. Um, you know, um, really um, care all across uh, in terms of like having uh, aides come out to the home and help or if needed, you know, having access to a nursing home and all the care that somebody might need and want. Um, the VA provides that and uh, we do it, um, you know, again, as I mentioned, as a team of all these experts coming together and pulling resources that are not available in private health care or in civilian hospitals and clinics. So um, we only have like a minute left here. And, um, you know, we don't want to scare anybody, you know, and they start experiencing any symptoms that you've mentioned. Uh, don't make that assumption right away, but please don't wait, right? Go to, go to see your primary care person and, and let them know uh, what's going on with you um, or with them so that we can rule out ALS if that's the case. But, but Dr. T, I want to talk real quick and, you know, I apologize now we only have like 45 seconds, but your clinical research does focus on developing some best practices. So if you were to provide just some, some quick best practices to people um, or patients that do have ALS, what would you tell them? I would say be seen in a clinic that consists of a team that specializes in ALS. I would say make sure that breathing is supported and weight is supported and monitored. And, um, yeah, make sure that you have access to these resources, uh, including hospice and, uh, you know, assistive devices, for instance, for communication uh, and for mobility that make such a difference in the quality of life. 
Well, Dr. Uh, Ezgi Tiriaki, uh, you know, thank you so much for just taking a few minutes out of your day to spend some time with us here on Minnesota Military Radio. It was an absolute pressure, uh, pleasure. Thank you so much, uh, Doug. You bet. Again, that's Dr. Ezgi Tiriaki from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham. And in a moment, we're going to chat with a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon City. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner. This is a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Commissioner Brad Lindsay. Did you know that the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs is not part of the federal VA? We are a separate state organization dedicated to helping veterans and their families navigate the complex benefit system and provide quality health care to our state's heroes. The Veterans Homes Division provides a continuum of long-term care for our residents with a strong emphasis on remembering and recognizing the service and sacrifices of all veterans. Our Veterans Homes focus on providing the excellent care and services that Minnesotans expect for our state's military heroes. In addition to overseeing the state veterans' homes, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs helps eligible veterans and their families with the following. Secure state and federal benefits. Provides programs and services relating to higher education, benefits, burials, claims, outreach, homelessness, suicide prevention, and veterans' preference. Key partnerships include veteran service organizations, county veteran service officers, and a number of public and private service providers. Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. As I mentioned before, we're going to be speaking with a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon City, and Doug Talby is uh, joining me in the studio here. And Doug has been involved with the Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon for more than 10 years and has been serving as the chair for the past three years. You're also the commander of the Clifford Larson American Legion Post, so you got a lot of stuff going on. Doug, great name, by the way. Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Glad to have you in the studio, and uh, it's good to, to see you in here. And, you know, you, uh, you're you not a stranger to military service, are you? No, sir, I am not. So tell us a little bit about, um, about your service, and then what led you to the Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Network? How did you get involved in that? So I joined uh, the United States Air Force right after graduation, and I did eight years active duty. I wanted to do 20, but my injury got involved, and so I had to get out after eight. Uh, and then uh, I moved back home, and uh, I moved to Farmington. And I just wanted to do something to pay it forward to these other veterans uh, that are in need of something or another of assistance. And so I have been part of the Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon for 10 plus years, as you said, Doug. So over 10 years, and in, in, uh, for those in the audience that uh, don't know, the city of Farmington became the first Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Community Network back in 2008. And, uh, of course, everybody on the show uh, knows about Annette Kuyper, who was instrumental in making that happen. And, and I know that you got to work with her a little bit. Um, wow, 2008. 
uh, the first Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Network. That That's some achievement there. That is. And, uh, you know, every time I talk to Annette, uh, even though she's uh, no longer with, uh, you know, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, but every time I do talk to her, um, I praise her because she did the groundwork. And, you know, we had that meeting back in 2007 in August, and uh, it was standing room only at City Hall. And uh, she took it from ground up. And uh, after 10 years, you have to uh, step aside and pass the baton on to somebody else. So she did a great job, and we love her for it. Yeah, so, I mean, I imagine there's a long list of, of things that uh, the the Farmington um, beyond the Yellow Ribbon Community Network has been able to accomplish since 2008. But um, what, what what kind of things would you want to highlight over the last however many years that is since uh, it was formed that uh, the, the Farmington uh, Yellow Ribbon has achieved? So my, my thing is to uh, serve veterans in any way, shape, or form that we can, whether that's rides to the Minneapolis VA for doctors, uh, whether you need help uh, money-wise, uh, groceries, gas, um, your rent, uh, utilities, whatever. Um, I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in helping out when we can. Um, I wish I could help everybody, but our network does um, need funds to help everyone. And uh, so we are kind of limited as far as what we um, can do as well. But uh, honoring our veterans in any way, shape, or form, that's the way I believe. And so, you know, you talk about the desire to serve and uh, provide assistance. Um, that requires some partnership, doesn't it? And so you, you have to partner with other organizations to make things like this happen. So how, how do you do that? So uh, we, uh, I'll give a good example real quick. Um, there was a Navy veteran that lost his house to fire a couple of years ago in Farmington, and they had just adopted four kids out of the uh, – county and like i say they lost their house just before christmas so we partnered with rosemont which rosemont is the number two city and we did a big huge benefit at one of the restaurants in in rosemont and we were able to give me personally i was able to give that family a ten thousand dollar check wow and that's just the community coming together for uh, something they believe in and to have the the first and the second uh, Yellow Ribbon Community Networks proclaimed uh, team up like that and provide that assistance. And the great thing is it didn't matter that that person lived in Farmington. It was the community as a whole getting together and supporting. And Exactly. And they did live in Rosemont um, prior to buying the house that they that burned. So that's kind of why we you know partnered with uh, Rosemont at the time. Wow. Well, that's, that's a great uh, story about one of the ways in which um, you know, you, you can help out those in the community and our, and our service members. So you talked about your service in the Air Force, um, you know, after eight years having to get out due to an injury. Uh, was, there, was there more to that, um, you know, beyond the fact that you wanted to serve? But were there other things that really factored into your decision to get involved a little bit more with the Yellow Ribbon, uh, beyond the Yellow Ribbon Network? You know, uh, I, I'm a proud veteran. And uh, I don't, I don't, um, I, I proudly put my flag out and honor it when I'm supposed to each and every day. And uh, it's just, like I say, in my blood to help others. And uh, I enjoyed my service time. I wish I could have, you know, made it longer, but uh, things happen and, and I had to get out. But uh, I'm still serving. And this is my call, being in charge of the Yellow Ribbon and then also being the Legion Commander. And so uh, both veteran organizations, and I run both of them. 
Well, you're definitely proud of your service. I saw that you wore an Air Force jacket on your way in uh, to meet today. Um, so uh, you're definitely proud of your service, and, and, and we thank you for that. You know, you, we've only got like maybe two minutes here um, before this segment comes to a close, but, uh, you know, we, you already kind of mentioned some of the funding, and we'll, we'll talk about how you can raise some funds in just a little bit, but um, I, I imagine it's not just funding. There, there must be other challenges that uh, a network like Farmington, even though you were the first one, you've been around the longest, there are still challenges you face. So what, what are some of the things that, um, that maybe the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon uh, piece faces and then things that you see inside the military community? So, you know, uh, we can't do this without other people uh, volunteering, and that's a big, big push for us. Um, You know, not everybody can um, give rides to the VA or to other appointments and everything during the day because they work, uh, you know, um, and they are only available on the weekends. But, uh, you know, if you want to get involved, I highly recommend go to Farmington Yellow Ribbon on Facebook and, you know, click on our website. web page and i get all those emails i get all the phone calls i would love to bring you on as a volunteer um and you do what you feel comfortable and what you have time for so it would we'll, be great we'll direct people to farmington yellow ribbon network that's on facebook that's where all the information is yep. so doug what we'll do is we'll take a break here then we'll come back in the next segment we'll talk about what's coming up for 2024 this is doug wortham i'm with minnesota military radio please stay with us we'll be right back Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham, and in the studio with me is Doug Tauber. Doug is from the Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Community Network. And, and Doug, before we went on to this break, we are talking about uh, ways that people can support the Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon um, Network, and, and that is by going to Farmington Yellow Ribbon Network on Facebook. And then from there, they can send a direct message to you, ask questions. Um, and then I'm assuming you put information on there about volunteer opportunities coming up. There's a way to maybe do some donation if they'd like or reach out maybe if uh, someone needs some assistance. That is correct. And, uh, you know, at certain times we put a QRC code, you know, on um, that. So, you know, there again, modern technology, you just click the uh, QRC and, you know, it goes right to the donations or whatever. But, uh, uh, yeah, we, we definitely blast it out on social media. That's, that's the way uh, we advertise our stuff nowadays. Well, before uh, before the uh, show started here, we're talking about a couple of cool things that uh, that the uh, Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon uh, Network does. And one of them I thought was really neat that you talked about was how you honor the seniors of high school who are joining the military. So tell us a little bit about that and what uh, what you do for them. Yep. So March, April timeframe, I reach out to the local recruiters that cover Farmington High School. And a good example, last year, we had 11 seniors that uh, were going to go into the military once they graduated. So what I started, and uh, Burnsville Beyond the Yellow Ribbon uh, is where I got it from, is we bought on Amazon red, white, and blue braided ropes. And that's a significant factor, being that you're going into the military. It's the color of our flags. So we bought those uh, braided ropes, and we give them to each one of the seniors so they can wear that with their cap and gown on graduation night. 
Wow, what a great idea. It uh, distinguishes them from everybody else as somebody who's raised that right hand, taken the oath to uh, protect and defend our country. And what a great way to honor them. Uh, And, hey, you know what? This is the great thing about having uh, community networks like this, right, is you get to uh, steal ideas from a bunch of other yellow ribbon entities. And and now that, you know, uh, we're the – who knows? Um, There's plenty more, I'm sure, that will come across and and, uh, come up with that same idea, you know, because when I left for uh, basic training and graduation, I didn't get recognized for nothing. So uh, I think it's very important that we recognize these young uh, men and women. And so you said that uh, there are two things that you do that are amongst your favorite. The first one we just talked about, these graduation red, white, and blue braided ropes. Uh, What's the other one that you love doing every year? So every uh, first Sunday in December, we do a cookie tray event. And this year we happen to load 150 uh, trays. And these trays are about 13 inches round. And I put it out there and people uh, bring in store-bought cookies, homemade cookies, breads, candies, that type of thing. Uh, And then uh, we have a bunch of volunteers that, you know, like I say, load them on the uh, trays. Then um, we have delivery people that deliver them right to the veterans' homes. They do not need to come in and pick them up. We deliver them right to your home. And like I say, this past uh, December, we loaded 150 trays, and we also give to the Farmington Police Department, the Farmington Fire Department, and the 911 Dispatch Center, which is in Rosemont. And so how many of those cookies do you have to test before you uh, send them out the door? <laughs> uh, I only tested one this year, and that was it, and that's the honest truth. Uh, and, and It was I one big one, though, right? Uh, it was a pretty good size, and it tasted pretty good, yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, again, we want to remind people to go to Farmington Yellow Ribbon Network. That's on Facebook, and uh, all the information that you need uh, to hear about with the, uh, the Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon uh, Network is there, and and Doug, uh, thirty seconds. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, any any asks for our listening audience? You know, just to uh, get involved with whatever city you live in. Get involved with the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon there, or you know, uh, get to get involved with some type of organization. And uh, if it's veterans, uh, that's great because veterans are always in need of some type of assistance. Well, hey, Doug, thanks so much. And thank you for your service to our United States Air Force. We appreciate what you're doing down there in Farmington, continuing to uh, lead the way. Thank you, and God bless the United States of America. All right, that is Doug Talby, who is from the Farmington Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Network. Joining me from the telephone right now is the Senior Enlisted Advisor, or also known as the Command Senior Enlisted Leader of the Minnesota National Guard, Command Chief Master Sergeant Lisa Erickson. Chief, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks for having me today, Doug. You know, it's always nice. It's great to hear your voice. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. I hope that uh, your 2023 was fantastic, and I know that 2024 is going to be a great year for you, and as always, it's going to be a busy year for you. Oh, yes, of course. Busy for not just me, but the entire Minnesota National Guard. Yeah, and you know, I guess we should really be careful about the words that we use. Uh, We should say productive year, not busy, because sometimes, you know, the word busy has a negative connotation, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes. So you are going to be extremely productive. And one of the things that I know is on the agenda to talk about today is something that I loved 
participating in um, is the opportunity to get all of the senior leaders together, both from the Army and the Air, bring in some of the um, senior um, officer leaders from the organization and participate in something called the JSELC or the Joint Senior Enlisted Leaders Conference. I understand you've got one coming up. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, of course, we're continuing that great tradition that you started with the J-Silk. But what we've done is we've added a day where they're, we're bringing the junior NCOs, so your E5 to E7 gray plates from both the Air and Army are invited to come and, and get some development. We have guests such as the Air National Guard Command Chief, Maurice Williams. Uh, Command Sergeant Major Dyer is coming to us from the G357, I believe. Along with, of course, General Mankey will be there to welcome everybody. And special, we have our Norwegian counterpart, Cell uh, from our SPP country, coming as well to look and see what we're doing for this development. So we're just continuing that great tradition. It's a two-day event. We have the junior NCOs on Friday and then the senior NCOs on Saturday. And really what we're calling this is a back to the basics. You know, we just want our soldiers and airmen to remember this is what we need you to do. We need you to be good airmen, good soldiers, know your job, know the basics, and, and go from there. And then, of course, a lot of joint building and just some good, good team building time together. And that leadership development, I don't think you can ever get enough of it. And it has to start at the lowest level where we can train everybody, regardless of rank, to, to think and to act like a leader because that just makes the organization that much better. Right. And, and to think as the Minnesota National Guard, not just as an Air National, Guard soldier, Air National Guard airman or a National Guard soldier. We are the Minnesota National Guard all-inclusive, and that's really, really our focus for this. And so there's some other development type stuff going on. You said that in the Army side, uh, there's a Warrant Officer Professional Development event going on as well. Yeah, they took the... Chief Hami hosted that last weekend at Camp Ripley, and it was the first time they'd been together in quite a few years prior to COVID even. So he said it was a great event. I talked to a couple folks that were there, and it was just good to be back together and going through some good things. You know, he's, he's got a recruiting thing ahead of him a little bit. He's got a little delta that he's got to fix. So he's doing his best to build that warrant officer corps. And we're, we're looking at some air folks to maybe cross over to become warrant officers. Never say never when that comes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the great thing is, is if you continue developing your non-commissioned officers um, as leaders and your junior non-commissioned officers and the leaders, that's the group of people that the warrant officer corps will grab from. And so you get the first crack at them to form that development and, and then uh, allow them to go on and do great things based on the foundation that you've given them. Yeah, exactly. And, and the warrant officers are a small cohort, but they are powerful and they are all such professionals. And, you know, we've got to look to our brightest enlisted to, to cross over into that neck of the woods as well. So just about two and a half minutes here, uh, Chief. And um, I want to talk about Air um, National Guard stuff going on. Another great uh, thing that uh, has been happening inside the Minnesota Air National Guard is the Outstanding Airman Competition. What's going on there? Well, we just held our state boards this last Friday up at the 148th, and that's where the three command chiefs, myself and the two wing command chiefs, we sit down with the best of the best, um, our best airmen, NCO, senior NCO, first sergeant, and then the officers do a company grade officer. And it was just hands down a great representation of the what our young, bright airmen bring to the table, the core values that they hold so near and dear, and just what they've done over the year. Like these young airmen and, well, and some of them are not so young because, you know, the senior NCOs, they've done great, great work. 
So we were able to select one from each of the categories, Captain Phil Larson for the air, for the CGO, Senior Master, Sar- or Master Sergeant Alicia Lagarde for Senior NCO, Master Sergeant Natalie Dornan for the, for the First Sergeant, uh, Tech Sergeant Richard Schiff for the NCO, and then Senior Airman Frandrup, Joshua Frandrup from the 133rd. So, I mean, it was kind of a split. It's two 133rd and three 148th this year, but all great, great airmen. Just a really good thing. One of my favorite weekends ever. Well, the important thing about this competition is that uh, you're not trying to meet some quota from the 133rd or the 148th. Everybody has the same opportunity to compete, and, and you have to select the best person to represent yeah. the state of Minnesota, the Minnesota Air National Guard, in the next stages of the competition. Yeah, exactly, where they go on regionally to compete, and then they will go on to the national level if they make it to the region. And we we have a pretty good record of making it on to the region, for sure. All right, Chief, so way less than a minute, all right? Uh, 133rd is resetting, and 148th is prepping for deployment. Yes, yes. Big year, uh, big year for the 148th, just like it is for the division. You know, they've got a lot of things on their plate, but no doubt they'll rise to the occasion, just like our 34th ID soldiers will do. Yeah, they, they always do. And, you know, mm-hmm. the best of luck to, to the 148th as they prepare, the 34th, as you mentioned, um, as mm-hmm. they prepare, and, uh, and, of course, the 133rd just getting reset. Uh, Chief, you know, it is always a great pleasure to have you on Minnesota Military Radio. We, we really, really appreciate, uh, appreciate you, what you're doing. And you know what? Best of luck to you in 2024. Look forward to getting updates from you regularly throughout all of 2024. I am Doug Wortham, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. Um, I'd like to let you know that this show is for you. So if you have a topic suggestion, if you have feedback, if you're a Minnesota veteran, you'd like to share your story, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Contact us is the button you should uh, click, and then you can send us a message. I do want to thank our guests for joining us this week, Doug Talby, Dr. Ezgi Tiryaki, again, Command Chief Master Sergeant Lisa Erickson, Commissioner Brad Lindsay of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Join us next week. We are going to have a Norex-themed show in celebration of the Minnesota National Guard's upcoming Norwegian Exchange. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Again, I'm Doug Wortham. I'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I hope that you have a great week and you find a way to make a positive impact on someone's life. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.